Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, Kenya has the Security Council pack up their suitcases and go on their first trip since the pandemic began, with counterterrorism, small arms, and women, peace, and security items also on the agenda. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. In October, Kenya is leading the council toward a pandemic milestone, as it's taking the body's 15 members to part of the Sahel region of Africa. They're headed to Mali and Niger from October 22nd through the 26th. This is the first time the council will be traveling overseas since October 2019, when it went to South Sudan and Ethiopia. Here's Kenyan ambassador to the UN, Martin Kimani, on why he wanted to organize the trip. Right now, the Sahel is facing a profound challenge from terrorism and insurgency. And there is a series of multinational responses and frameworks that are trying to respond to this unprecedented challenge. And in many ways, there are areas where success is proving to be difficult to hold on to. And so the Security Council wants to go and assess for itself what are the fresh ideas we can find on the ground in Mali, especially uh, when we speak to stakeholders, whether in government or outside government, what can they tell us that goes beyond the reports we get from the Secretariat uh, that offers us fresh direction, fresh ideas? And so our trip is a reflection of the Council really wanting to do more for the Sahel. And we as Kenya wanted to facilitate that as much as possible. We are a country that is also on the front lines of fighting global terrorist organizations such as Al-Shabaab. And when we look across and look at the challenge going on in the Sahel, we consider ourselves as much a part of their fight as possible. And we really hope that that's the attitude all member states have because it's a problem that travels and it moves. And so wherever the problem is manifesting itself in any little way that you can, you should contribute. And this is Kenya's attempt to contribute in our own way, to take part of our presidency, which comes around every two decades or so, to offer a platform that may lead to some better response to the needs of the Sahel. 
Kenya, a country of 53.7 million people located in East Africa, won its elected seat on the Security Council for a two-year term starting in January 2021. Kenya holds one of the African regional seats, along with Niger and Tunisia. Jeffrey Lugano is a lecturer at Kenyatta University, a public institution in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. He believes the trip helps serve Kenya's goal of raising the voice of the continent in the 15-member council. I think it fits really well because you just look at the recent happenings in, uh, in, in the Sahel region. There has been recently, I think it was a successful coup in Guinea. There was, a, there was also another one in, in Mali. So that region, uh, that part of Africa is at least as stable. Kenya has this vision that African voices should be had in the global political economy, in the global arena. One of the things that Kenya has been declining is the level of, of indifference to African voices. The Security Council always makes decisions on Africa and mostly on peacekeeping that affects mostly African states, but without listening to the African voice. So Kenya is coming with an African voice that if you're making decisions on Africa with regards to peace and security, that is also core in the agenda, then Africans should be heard. So Kenya is bringing this up African voice with regards to attending to some of the issues that are really dear to them, because peace and security is one of the areas that is of interest to, uh, to the Kenyatta regime. It fits into place with regards to Kenya's plans and, and key agendas. Kenya will also hold meetings on peacebuilding, women, peace and security, and counterterrorism, a key foreign policy priority for Kenya. Its flagship meeting will be on identity, state building, and the search for peace. That'll take place on October 12th and be chaired by Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta, who's traveling to New York for the meeting. He'll also preside virtually over the recurring meeting on UN cooperation with the African Union on the 28th. Here's Ambassador Kamani on this. We have our national priorities, which are a mix of our Kenyan priorities, which are always aligned with Africa's priorities in our view. We want this month to have conversations that try and give the council an opportunity to think of its approaches a bit more strategically. For example, we have a debate on diversity, state building, and the search for peace. And that reflects one of the four priorities, if not all of them, that we brought to the council. We, we came with a big interest in enhancing regional peace and security. So in this particular event, which will be chaired by President Kenyatta, we're hoping that we can delve deeper into how difference and how difference is perceived, weaponized, and utilized can actually, as part of state building and respond to cri response to crisis, how, how important it is. All over the world, you're seeing people are more divided than they appear to have been before on the basis of their identities, whether those are racial, ethnic, religious, gender sometimes. So that's one of our priorities, of course, to enhance how the Security Council approaches peace and security. And it's not just technically, but it's in its philosophical and political understanding of the major drivers of conflict. We have another priority, of course, on climate and security, another one on enhancing peacemaking and peace building. And we are also looking at the issue of small arms, illicit small arms and light weapons. And we're hoping to weave all these through our month, culminating in the Women, Peace and Security event later in the month that we hope to be 
at the ministerial level and to really shine a light on the special capabilities and competencies that women in peacekeeping offer UN missions. Jeffrey Lugano sees more of Kenya's priorities on the Council as a reflection of its broader foreign policy. But he thinks that some of the focus is simply aimed at pleasing other big powers on the Council. When I looked at Kenya's campaign agenda, there are 10-point agenda. Some are approximate and some are a little bit distant, just clinging to global cliches. For example, counterterrorism, that is a significant area that Kenya is really interested in because if you look at uh, back home, Kenya itself is, has been under the scourge of al-Shabaab terrorism, Islamic fundamentalists in the country who have been causing havoc. And that is part of the reason why Kenya has gone into Somalia and integrated into the African peacekeeping mission. That is one. Second, humanitarian intervention. This is one of the areas that Kenya has really been at the forefront. For example, Kenya offers asylum for those who have sought asylum from other African countries. For example, Burundi, the DRC, Uganda. Kenya is also one of the biggest hosts to uh, regional refugees from South Sudan and from Somalia. So those are very, very key areas that Kenya has been engaged with, just beyond rhetoric. But if I look at other agenda like justice, human rights, and democracy, that is far-fetched. And I think that was Kenya trying to attract Western countries so that they could support it. Dr. Lugano sees some contradiction between Kenya advocating for topics such as democracy, human rights, and gender equality abroad, while the situation at home still needs lots of work. According to Freedom House, Kenya is a multi-party democracy but its political rights and civil liberties are, and I quote, seriously undermined by pervasive corruption and brutality by security forces. Although internationally we could be projected, at least in comparison to the rest of East Africa, like Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, perhaps Tanzania and, and Uganda, and recently South Sudan, that has been also admitted to the East African community. Internally, Kenya is a country in contradiction. We, on paper, subscribe to this liberal internationalism, but domestically, how we conduct our affairs in between um, electoral periods is far from democratic. For example, our elections are constantly subject to a lot of contestation. The level of political tolerance is limited because sometimes you have the position when they want to campaign, they are not accorded the access to venues that the regime has. We have political conflict, political violence because of lack of belief in the system as free and fair. You also have human rights violations uh, consistently. I think you've heard of reports where people have been disappeared. You've heard of reports where demonstrators are clobbered. The media sometimes is limited in terms of uh, what it can project. So the element of democracy is questionable in Kenya, at least according to the principles of democratization. But of course, we would project ourselves as, as, as different from the rest of East Africa. But internally, if you look how Kenya conducts its political processes, it is far from democratic. We'll take a short break, but stay tuned. Are you searching for a meaningful way to further your career in international development? Is it your dream to tackle some of the world's most pressing challenges? Consider Seton Hall University's Executive Graduate Programs in International Affairs. 
attend a webinar to find out how you can specialize in up to 13 research areas, including conflict management, international law and human rights, foreign policy analysis, and more. As a graduate candidate, you'll have the benefit of one-on-one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus, at the UN headquarters in New York, and in Washington, D.C. The program is flexible. It can be taken full-time or part-time, online or at the New Jersey campus just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a graduate program's webinar, click the link in our episode description. Kenya is also planning a meeting on small arms and light weapons on October 6th. Small arms is a topic that is especially important in Africa. Weapons often produced by the world's biggest powers are used in the various armed conflicts in Africa, as is the case elsewhere. The UN defines small arms as weapons designed for individual use, while light weapons are meant for a crew of several people. The Security Council does not heavily prioritize the topic of small arms on its agenda. And that's despite the fact that the African Union's flagship program is silencing the guns in Africa. But Ambassador Kamani is determined to discuss it head on. The other day we were talking about the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. And, you know, this is one of those items that comes up and we all basically say the same thing because that's how important that agenda is to global peace and security. In fact, that's even an understatement to the future of the human race. (laughs) So I was really struck and I was asking one of our experts, can we put in some language in our statement on illicit small arms and light weapons? Because if you look at the impact of the AK-47, the illicit AK-47 on human security, on on national security, on regional security. It's immense. It's immense. So when we're talking about the urgency and the priorities in protecting the peace, leaving out illicit small arms and light weapons is avoiding a big elephant in the room. Perhaps it's a bit disingenuous sometimes. The council has not, in our understanding, had a strong appetite to deal with this subject. It refers to think that it belongs in the GA. But in every single situation we're dealing with, illicit small arms and light weapons are a big factor, uh, a big factor in how our peacekeeping missions are operating. And so we want to shine a light on how peacekeeping operations interact with illicit small arms and light weapons. And we are amongst a group of states particularly amongst the elected states, that see this as a priority issue. Mexico has shown a lot of leadership, so I'm expecting that in November, during their presidency, they shall keep up the focus, and perhaps it shall continue even into into other months. Arms regulations are a tricky topic for the Security Council. The world's top weapons exporters include the U.S., Russia, France, Germany, China, and the U.K., so their interests are mixed. Ambassador Kimani recognizes this challenge, but still thinks it's very important for achieving international peace and security. Well, you know, if you're a good detective, you always try and find who benefits. So small arms and light weapons are manufactured 
if you correlate the countries that are before the Security Council for their crises, most of them do not manufacture any guns and artillery, etc. But uh, they have them. So the great tension in the in the Security Council, which is not recent, I think it's there from its founding, which I think is part of the entire design and cannot be avoided, is that many of the P5 have very clear national interests that sometimes are in some tension with their role as protectors of global peace and security of the Security Council. It's not abnormal. It's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just the reality of the world. But it makes advocating for some of these agendas a bit more difficult. But rather than sort of throw them under the bus and accuse them and put it all on them, I think we all can make a stronger case. We all can, I think, reason together. And where there's an opportunity to work together, I find that they're generally quite positive, but you have to be aware of their very clear interests in this area. Dr. Lugano agrees that small arms are a burden on Africa and on Kenya itself. If you look at the instabilities of African countries, which might not really receive a lot of global traction, most of the conflicts that we say are not these large-scale blown-out conflicts, like the 207 postulation violence in Kenya, or what you see in Eritrea, in Ethiopia, with regards to the TPLF and the regime in Addis, and South Sudan, amongst the position of the government. But we have these small instances of violence, this everyday violence. For example, in Kenya, we have this cattle rustling. We also have intercommunal violence sometimes that erupts. And part of this is because of the availability of all these small arms and light weapons that cross the borders. So that is really an issue that has been overlooked at the global level because it doesn't have the gravity that can attract the national media or international attention or condemnation. But then again, because Kenyans live every day, for example, our president, one of the challenges that he experiences in his everyday governance is this kind of this small conflict that involves small arms. But the very fact that Africans who have been experiencing all these kind of problems bringing them on board of the Security Council, that means that we are giving it that global attention that, that has really been absent in most of the, of the reporting, the media. When it joined the Council last January, Kenya also automatically joined the A3 plus one, the informal group of three African countries on the Security Council that also includes San Vincent and the Grenadines in the Caribbean. The A3 plus one strives to speak with one voice in the council to make stronger points on certain issues. The A3 plus one often succeeds in producing joint remarks in the council. But instability in Tunisia's government has sometimes challenged the alliance's effectiveness. Next year, Kenya will be joined by Ghana and Gabon. So Kenya will be instrumental in keeping the A3 together. Ambassador Kamani is optimistic. At the beginning of this year, we were the new kids on the block. Then now we shall be the veterans because every other member of the A3 plus one will depart unless there's some rapid Security Council reform in the next three months. Being part of the A3 plus one has been a revelation for me. I think uh, anyone who watches the council closely will know that even before we got on, and I think this year especially, the influence of the A3 plus one has grown. We are a factor that must be considered on most of the debates that matter the most to us. We may not be pen holders on a specific file, 
but very few countries are willing to be seen to be openly opposed to the voice of Africa. And that voice is captured by the A3 plus one on the council. And I have found it very collegial and patriotic in a way, and not the patriotism of a single country, but a Pan-Africanist feeling. It feels like the start of something exciting and powerful to see us able to unite around issues and not just to react to other initiatives, but to propose them to drive their agenda forward. And I think we've done that. Gabon and Ghana are coming in, and I hope that they'll continue in the same spirit. And I, I don't doubt they will, because on the council, if you want to succeed as an elected member, you've got to have a card up your sleeve. You've got to have something. If you appear to be too much in the camp of one of the sort of established divisions, much like a stock, what you say is priced in. And when you start to open your mouth, the other 14 say, well, I know what this person's going to say, because you've priced in where you stand. So you're best standing somewhere in the middle and able to bridge divisions, leverage opportunities to drive the agenda forward. But standing in the middle of it alone is quite a buffeting. So when you stand in the middle as Africa and you have the African Union behind you, you have the Peace and Security Council behind you, you have a strong anchor. And when you have a strong anchor and you're standing in the middle, I think you become a not inconsiderable force in the council. Now, as for the A3 plus one, the plus one is a historic plus one. And what St. Vincent and the Grenadines has done is of a historic nature. This is a country in the Caribbean, a member of CARICOM, that at the head of government level, the prime minister said that his foreign policy on this issue was to reflect and support the position of the African Union. This as a reflection of our shared African ancestry. The African world goes beyond Africa. It's in the Americas, it's in, here in the United States, it's uh, in Central America. And we have that sense of kinship because our separation was not voluntary. We were not migrants, we were forced. And so that reaches deep into, I think, our culture and psychological affiliation with one another. And the African Union also has the African diaspora, which includes the Caribbean and the Americas, as part of its sixth region. We have five regions in Africa and we have this sixth region. So what St. Vincent has done is to manifest in the most practical, at the very highest global level, what the sixth region could mean. So we think there'll be other plus ones in the future, for Dr. Lugano, such an alliance is at the heart of what Kenya is trying to solidify during its two-year term on the council. There is some strength in a joint effort as opposed to just acting in isolation. And so when you see all these countries working together, then what the project is that Kenya won't really be seen as uh, projecting the Kenyan voice, but an African vision of what is supposed to be done at the global level. By the very act of reaching out to African countries and Africans in the diaspora, it really demonstrates that this idea of Kenya being the African Union's candidate is not far-fetched, but it is kind of a reality. Because Kenya is not there for itself, but for the wider African region. So, so it's just best practice that it works collectively with the rest of African countries who are 
a big security concern. Ambassador Kamani has an even broader view of the A3 plus one on the council, one that has been shared by the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield. She's a former assistant secretary for the U.S. State Department's Bureau of African Affairs, was the ambassador to Liberia, and is African-American. Our colleague, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who's a wonderful PR, me and her joined the council almost at the same time. And when she encountered the A3 plus one, she said, well, she's also part of the A3. And we said, indeed, indeed, why not? And that's why when we took a retreat earlier this fall, we decided to leave the plus in the A3, to leave the plus, with remove the one. Uh, but that plus to indicate that the A3 is ready to work with the countries that are ready to advance the African agenda. The majority of items on the Security Council regard Africa. So you don't have to be an African to decide that on this file, on this issue, I want to listen closely to the perspectives from Africa and reflect them in your position. So if Brazil or the United States or Russia wants to take up an African position, then they are a plus. And indeed, we can join with them and work together and will be welcoming with open arms collaborations on the basis of respecting Africa's position. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Past Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leinbach is our editor. Anna Bianca Roach is our researcher. AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the effect of the US on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.